0: My name is Tammy Herbert, and I am very glad to be with you this morning. I've been here a couple of times in this building, I think once for an ordination service and once for a funeral, and I'm grateful to be back again and for Pastor Trent and your church board and um, the pressure of my eldest child (laughs) to get me here. Trent went through a lot. She put a lot of pressure on him, saying, Get my mom to preach. So he gave in, and here I am. And then she called me last Sunday after church and said, Blaine's sermon was awesome. Okay, pressure, pressure there. And then the Sunday before, it was like, Stephen, he really can bring the word. And I'm like, Man, I kept listening to that. And I know Pastor Trent. We served together in Edmonton for a few years. And even did a team sermon once, so I know he's a good preacher, so lots of pressure here. I'm a little nervous, but I will say under all those nerves and everything, having your teenage kid ask you to come preach, uh, that's quite a compliment, so I'm very thankful to be here. It's been a very nice warm welcome, and it's good to see all of you. Um, If you don't know us, some of you might, but if you don't know us, I'm Tammy, and my husband Dave is here. And our son Josiah and daughter Caitlin, we live on a farm near Edburgh, Alberta. They're showing you some pictures of our place up there now. If you know where Camrose is, it's about 30 minutes south of Camrose. Out in the middle of nowhere, we're, we're 30 minutes from just about everywhere. So <laughs> our country girl Caitlin decided to move to the city and join you here for a while. And we're very thankful that she's using her pastor kid skills to help here at the church and that you've welcomed her into your faith family because she seems to fit in very well dave and i pastored three churches across alberta over the last 20 some years and uh we've worked bivocationally mostly we've taken a step back from leadership now while we farm as god calls us to respond to our the whole of our lives At this intersection of what we're called to do and the reality that he brings to us. So, his work is farmy. We have a chicken barn that has about 22,000 broiler chickens in it. So, if you like chicken, thank the farmer. Uh, We also have a feed mill and um, help out with our neighbors who are also our brothers, brother and sister in law on their farm as well. My work is keeping up with stuff on the farm, which is more work than you know, plus raising teenagers, plus I help across the district um, in children's ministry, helping Pastor Sherry Lynn, who is our children's director. I do a lot of the communications and media work and, and stuff for her. So that's very much a privilege for me to do that as well. This morning's lesson is found in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, or your phones, or if you just want to look at the screen behind me, I think it's going to be written up there as well. So John 1, starting with verse 29, and we'll read through uh, verse 42. While you're looking it up, I have a little bit about the writer of this book. John was an apostle, and he was the longest living apostle, and he uh, was the one known to have died of natural causes as opposed to everyone else who were uh, martyred for their faith. He's writing to a church in Ephesus located in what is now modern-day Turkey, and he wrote later in the first century. So those who were listening to him in these churches were farther away from hearing the firsthand witnesses of those who walked with Jesus. Skepticism had set in. And we know how it is. Skepticism is a lot easier to come by than belief these days. John knew that the people would need to be able to read about what had happened when Jesus walked on the earth. John was friends with Jesus. He was probably one of his closest friends. So John, who wasn't perfect, had a bird's eye view into Jesus' teaching and his uh, ministry to the people. Jesus trusted him, and John learned a lot by just walking with Jesus every day for a while to come here, to hear and see, to believe and be changed, and to live. So we read right along with the skeptics and those questioning in the first century and every century since the word of the Lord from John 1, starting with verse 29. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist, as opposed to John, the apostle who wrote this down. So John the Baptist again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Before we dig into John 1, and I promise this will all make sense, I must put this out into the world. Although the weather is really great this weekend, thank you, I don't know if you guys planned it that way or not, but I am not a big fan of January. In fact, it's like the long dog days of winter, if there's such a thing, and there's all this pressure for new year, new you, and I'm just the old me and I can never keep a resolution. I mentioned this as I found a new way to get through January that I thought I'd share with you all. I came up with this brilliant idea last year as I took down my Christmas decorations right before Lent. Now, I don't based on the laughs, I guess I'm the one who might be embarrassed. I don't know if anyone else still has their Christmas decorations up, but do I see I see that hand. I see that hand. <laughs> So you get it, last year I got through January thanks partly to twinkly lights and all the pretty stuff up for Christmas. So I thought I'd make it all churchy and stuff and tell myself that I was celebrating Epiphany all this time until Lent, only to realize that that's been a thing for a few centuries. But if you need an excuse, this is your excuse for keeping your twinkly lights up for a little bit longer. It's epiphany, y'all. It's epiphany. Do you know about epiphany? The Oxford Dictionary calls it the manifest- manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles as represented by the Magi. So the my three kings story. And that's true. The Oxford Dictionary, Dictionary also goes on to say It is the festival commemorating the epiphany on January 6th, where many submerge themselves in ice water. Which is also a side epiphany I'm choosing to ignore. (laughs) (laughs) Ice water, please. Plus, I don't swim, so that might be a hard thing. For many, it is a day in the church to remember the wise explorers who finally reached their destination to worship at the feet of the new king who came to earth. And in our scripture today in Jesus' baptism and calling others to come and see, we get the chance to come and see again like it's new. Like we're invited to see a new thing with Jesus if we're willing to come and see with our hearts the powerful and transforming ways that Jesus revealed himself to the world because that's what epiphany is, the revealing. The aha moments that come Not just from physical sight, but from seeing with our hearts. A seeing that sparks faith. John the Apostle, in his book, in his gospel, is very intentional in what he writes. If you've read all four gospels, you'll see it's very different than the other three. He's speaking to the skeptics and to the curious. He's setting us up to come and see who Jesus is through what he says and does And that's his whole goal. John's writing a book long show and tell. That's a great tool to get to know each other. Kindergarten teachers think so. And I received my first call from a teacher when Caitlin was in kindergarten because of a show and tell. My first thought was what could my sweet little blonde, or sweet little brown eyed strawberry blonde girl possibly share at show and tell? to justify a call from the teacher. Isn't she cute? She didn't know I was doing that. (laughs) Let's say that a group of kindergartners were very scandalized and traumatized by her story about something that happened at our family farm the weekend before. One of the dogs had killed or found a beaver and just happened to drag it onto the grass between the two houses and spent a lot of the day munching on it while the rest of us worked and chatted and ate and played like there wasn't a dog eating a bloody animal in the middle of the yard. That's farm life, you know? (laughs) But the Ross Glenn kindergarten class of 2010 seemed not to be quite as country as all those hatters claimed to be. (laughs) Five-year-olds went crying to their mothers and their mothers went crying to the teacher And the teacher asked me, what kind of farm do you live on? And we had to monitor what Caitlin chose to share for the rest of the year. Essentially, that's what John does in this book. A lot of show and tell about the actions and words of the man Jesus who came down to where we lived and made his life with us. Verse 29, John the Baptist declared, I don't know him that well, But I came so that he might be revealed. And then he testifies to what he saw. He saw the spirit like a dove coming down and landing on Jesus, just as the one who called him to speak this message had promised. Show and tell. And that was the beginning of three years of people seeing Jesus show his power and tell Of the way to life. And the most fantastic part is that Jesus didn't do it alone. Jesus' first words in this whole gospel are in verse 38, where he says, What are you looking for? As people were following him, he didn't just turn around and say, Do it this way, or You can't do that anymore, or Well, if you really believed, you would act like this or that. He didn't just stand up there and say words and do deeds and expect people to believe. No, he asked them what their eyes and hearts and minds needed to see. And then he invited them to come along with him on the road to come and see. Just like God in heaven showed John the Baptist the right identity of Jesus in his baptism, Jesus shows us his identity Every step after, through his every word and every action. Jesus' life is one long epiphany. One long aha, where Jesus isn't calling those people to come and do, as if they already know how or understand the whole picture. No, when Jesus asks them and us to come and see, he's asking them and us if we want to follow All they have to do is keep their eyes, hearts, and minds open to the possibilities of new things, of what could happen by walking with him. He's not laying down the law like the synagogue leaders did. He was inviting them on a walk, expecting they would see something worth looking, worth coming for. I want to be honest that as a person who's been trying to walk with Jesus for a little while now, and sometimes trying pretty hard, it just seems that sometimes even with our good intentions, maybe this, we've made this all too hard, this faith thing, this following Jesus. It can be hard, but it requires a commitment to keep taking the next step, even if we know the next day may not be that exciting. But it's all about the next step, not about the uncertainty of what the future might bring. We must depend on someone else to lay the path for us. I think that's the hard part. It is for me. It takes sometimes waiting to see what God has for us in the next step he's inviting us to. And then we've made it all that much harder by expecting this church to look a certain way, to act a certain way, by creating hoops for each other to jump through, to show we have faith enough that we are enough to be a part of the walking with Jesus. When all Jesus asks of us is, what are you looking for? And in response, he invites us to come and see. Imagine what the Christian life would be like if we just accepted that invitation at face value. That we believe it when Jesus says, all you must do is come and see, and I'll show you. I'll tell you what life can be like to follow the one who is the Lamb of God. Imagine what Andrew and the other disciples could have felt as they walked with Jesus and then they saw things coming and changing and started to wonder, wow, this is really happening. After centuries of waiting, could this indeed be the one? They get this invitation, the same invitation that's waiting and ready for us this morning too. At whatever stage of faith you are in your life, It's waiting for you, just like it was for Andrew and the disciples. And whatever perspective you carry, you're invited to walk just like they were, to come along and see. Come and see the wedding party where Jesus reveals his generous spirit, especially for the hosts who dreaded the gospel, or, excuse me, dreaded the gossip if their cellar ran dry of the good wine. Come and see the temple and Jesus' anger at how far the people had fallen away from true worship. Come and see you and you and you, the one who thinks their life, chances, and reputation couldn't possibly mean that Jesus wants to sit and talk for a while by the well. To talk by the well about the water where you never are thirsty again. Come and see you rule breakers. See all of those rule breakers who question the traditions and rules and want to know why things have to be this way. Come and see Jesus break the rules himself, choosing to love his neighbor when he heals on the Sabbath. Are you coming along? Can you see him? Come see Jesus choose to work with these fellas we now call disciples but a really uncultured fisherman and a tax collector. See that? What kind of Messiah would do that? Come and see. We see him feeding all these people out of a child's lunch. What? He uses a child (laughs) to teach the disciples about food. He doesn't make this about himself and stand there and get credit, but teaches what justice looks like for the hungry, what humility looks like for those longing for power when they, the inner circle following Jesus, the ones with supposed places of importance, when they were asked to serve the meal to the tired and hungry crowd, a meal provided, by a little child. And when these disciples still don't see even after all those hungry people get filled up how Jesus took care of their needs when they still don't see it Jesus talks to the weather which we know never cooperates. <laughs> he talks to the weather to calm the storm and their fears. The disciples still don't see it. Still Jesus says to them come it's okay. Come and see. I'll take care of you in the storm. Don't be afraid. See my connection to the earth and sky, that even the winds and the waves obey me. All through this book, they came and they saw. The crowd saw the blind man who saw too, and then testified to what he saw with his heart, not just with his eyes. Did the blind man get it by seeing with his heart, not just with his eyes? Yes, he was blind after all. Do we just see with our eyes, with what we think is real, and not with our hearts, with our faith? The blind man saw and testified in faith, saying, I once was blind, but I see it now. The seeing man now says, when Jesus said, Come, I came. When Jesus said, see, yes, (laughs) that happened too, on several levels. Do you see the invitation to come and see that Jesus holds out to you? We see Jesus reveal himself just by his um, calling John the Baptist to come before him. Because let's admit it, John was quirky And people wonder, what is he doing? What is he saying? But Jesus says, come and see. Your message matters. Jesus says, come and see the tears that roll down my face when my best friend Lazarus dies. Come and see Jesus. He knows grief. And he cries with you too. Or come and see a woman full of shame as men hurled words and lifted stones to throw for her, for all of us. Jesus says, who are you to judge? Come and see your own sin, your own guilt. Stop judging and start loving. You put down those stones you want to throw at each other. Let me be the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. Come and see Jesus, Son of God, the one who rides a donkey and washes feet and cries out to God, No, I don't want this. Take this cup from me. Come and see Jesus, the Messiah who was betrayed and beaten. Come and see the Lamb of God murdered and buried in a borrowed grave. Come and see Jesus, the promised Messiah, the Son of God and the Lamb who takes the sin of the world with him to death and then he lived. Come and see humility in big things and transparency in hard things. Come and see the power over death that we can have too if we just see the possibilities of believing in him. Are we up to doing this in this new year, this new thing that's happening here, this church no matter where you are following Jesus, maybe that you're fighting him every step of the way on this journey. His grace goes before. His grace is pursuing you. Perhaps you think you're almost already there. I've almost made it wherever there is. <laughs> My question to all of us is this. Are we up to taking the next step when Jesus says, come and see? Do you think you know him well? Are you capable of undoing what we think we know and being curious about what could happen and undoing our cocoons of knowledge to take the next step into the invitation to come and see? I curiously stepped into a parsonage basement after a quiet invitation from a woman shopping for clothes where I worked during college. I hadn't been in a church or part of a any faith journey for nearly four years. That's a whole other sermon, but you parents concerned for your kiddos, remember God's grace is already at work. It was curiosity and giving this unique encounter a chance that took me to this community where I would meet Jesus and learn about his grace for the first time in a way that changed me. The ones in that group who became lifelong friends just said, come and see. The youth pastor there in that church, all of these in unique ways, living out their obedience to Jesus' request to invite others to come and see too, made a difference in the trajectory of my life. I can testify this morning that their invitation is a part of the process that brings me here this morning. That pastor didn't require me to have all the answers to the questions, what are you looking for, before he invited me to come alongside and be curious about God, what God was really calling me to do. I became a youth worker in that church, loving on junior hires who, let's say, are some of the most awesome people on the planet. Under this pastor, I learned so much walking beside and seeing God at work. How could I not be a part of that? They eventually pushed me out to join others who offered that invitation to come and see in other places. I've heard you called your new pastor, and I'm excited for you. And you have so much to discover today, or in the coming days together. Are you up to staying curious, to check out the way Jesus reveals himself to you in this next season of community? So you can say to others, come and see, come walk with me and see Jesus. John Wesley wrote in the margins of his Bible for this passage, these words. In order to raise us to dignity and happiness, the eternal word by this was made flesh, united himself to our miserable natures, not for a transient visit, but he tabernacled among us on earth. And we beheld his glory, which shone forth in his continual miracles, his ministrations, his conduct. Throughout the whole of his life, he was himself upright, benevolent, a partner of sinners, and exhibited the most substantial blessings, whereas that was only but a shadow of things to come. Folks, Jesus came to show us and tell us about Himself. It's as simple as that. He makes it possible, no matter where we are in matters of belief or unbelief. He makes it possible if we just stay curious, just like those disciples were curious on the second day of His earthly ministry. He says to us, "Come and see." Will you choose to come and see? Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for the gospel writer John this morning. Writing inspired by you to teach us how to live here on earth. To show us that all it takes is a simple next step to come and see your work and your teachings. To know how to live. Dear God, we thank you for Jesus for this invitation to make our lives one long epiphany. We come to you today as people curious enough about who you are, that no matter where we've come from or how long we've known you, no matter if we've walked in your way or decided to reject you, Lord God, you ask us simply to come and see. Lord Jesus, reveal to us yourself each day in small epiphanies along the way, that we may become your voice that beckons others to come and see too. When we really see you, we pray that our lives will reveal your contagious, outgoing, embracing, healing love to others. Amen. The cool thing about the invitation to come and see is that we get to do it with all the generations before. So we sang holy, holy, holy before I... It just hit me that we're singing this with Isaiah. He's like thousands of years ago. And we're singing it with the church in Ephesus. And we're singing with the churches in the Revelation. And century after century after century, they've sang this song together. Out of worship, yes, but out of acknowledging the possibilities that comes from following a holy God. So will you join the worship team and let's sing this song together. As Pastor Stephen said, the invitation is always open if you need to pray, to take that physical first step to come and see the altars are open. And I thank you again for having me here this morning.